Welcome to A Life Less Ordinary, hosted by me, Sophie Elwes. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing people who have overcome huge challenges and finding out what tips and tricks they can share for other people who might be facing challenges of their own. This week, I am so pleased to have the amazing Sophie Morgan on as my guest. Sophie is a TV presenter, an award-winning disability advocate, an artist, an entrepreneur, amongst many other things. Sophie was an incredible mentor for me in the years following my own injury and has been such a role model in showing me what can be done in life despite a disability. We talk about the power of mentorship. She tells me about overcoming a spinal cord injury in the public eye and how to change the world for the better. I really loved recording this episode. It was like a chat with an old friend, but some of the things that we speak about, I think are really, really valuable. So I hope you guys enjoy this too. Sophie, lovely to see you, albeit on screen. How are you doing? I'm good, how are you? Nice one. Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. How is isolation life treating you? Uh, it's been it's been a roller coaster. I'm not going to lie. So it's been a bit up and down. I mean, it started off. I was really like it hit me quite hard because um the the things I was about to do um had been in preparation for quite a long time, and so when that was culled, I was a bit like, what on earth is going on? So I, at first, I was a bit pissed off, and then. I just slowly calmed down and, and now getting into the swing of things and just sort of plodding along and it's it's taken a bit of time to just accept that this is just the way it is now and um and now just yeah fine I think I've worked from home before I've been on bed rest and stuff before from home so I'm kind of used to you know managing time and working you know in on my own as it were working from home but I just yeah it's a funny old time and I think the fear of the the uh, COVID-19 as well in itself, I got a bit frightened of it to start with. I was really unsure how like, our disabilities might respond to it. And I couldn't really figure out if we were at risk or not. And I just was a bit like, what does this mean? And watching videos online and freaking myself out and thinking, God, oh no, what does this mean? But so, I don't know, everything's, the dust has sort of settled a little bit now. How about you? Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely the same as me. Like in the beginning, I was really, I really freaked out like first week or so I was kind of like oh my god this is like awful and what Mm. does this mean for us you know it's completely like unprecedented classic word um but but yeah now I'm I'm also sort of I I think you know you're so right about saying that about how you've you know you've been on bed rest you've worked from home and stuff I've I've noticed a lot of people that I've spoken to particularly with a disability you know they they do find that you know their kind of resilience comes into play here mm. and you know they they can deal with this sort of life you know yeah they've done it before absolutely many of us, I yeah. think people with people who've had a traumatic accident like us have one have an idea of how life can change very quickly but then there's people who live with like chronic health conditions who've been battling the system failures for such a long time that this kind of this situation is actually quite familiar um you know being trapped at home or not getting healthcare access to healthcare access to you know food and all the basic stuff that people are now grappling with many people with disabilities in various ways have actually touched on this before um but at the same time you know yes it's we are used to it but just it goes to show how hard it is and now that the wider population is seeing oh wait hold on 
this is what it's like. I, I hope that that will make them kind of go, Christ, this is awful. We've really let people down at, and who are used to, you know, having to, to manage with these kind of conditions. And we must not let that happen. So I think systematic, systematic change needs to happen at the end of this. But right now, yeah, I think we can definitely look to people with disabilities to gain some inspiration on how to manage all this stuff, I think. And not inspiration, mm. I use that word lightly, but, you know, to gain insight, <laughs> <laughs> advice. Sure, sure. I hear you. I hear you. Okay, cool. So kind of to go back to the beginning, um, I first met you probably nine years ago, quite soon after I got injured. I I was having a difficult time right in the early days, a few months out of hospital and just struggling a little bit, uh, wanting to do everything, but not really sure how and just feeling pretty isolated. Um, And my mum suggested that I got in touch with Backup, who had a mentoring service, which incidentally, I now work on the (laughs) team there. Um, But um, and I remember sort of thinking, oh, no, I'm fine. I don't need a mentor. You know, I'm all right and stuff. But, you know, I, I gave it a go. And miraculously, they put me in touch with you as my mentor, which was just incredible. It actually changed everything for me. And in, in all these years, I think that's been the thing that I would say to people in this sort of situation yeah. is meet other people in a similar situation because you know especially as a, a 20 odd year old girl you know meeting someone else who has similar ideas about life and you know who is doing the things you want to do I mean what better role model for me to have than someone who's absolutely nailing it but also is able to tell you you know yeah it's shit sometimes mm, yeah. and it was those little tips and tricks like I remember I remember asking you like when I came back to London all my friends were living in flats up three flights of stairs that sort of thing oh, and yes. I still wanted to go to their oh, house parties yes. and stuff and like when I was in hospital he's sort of teaching you go up on your bum and stuff and I was like what two o'clock in the morning I'm gonna yeah, shuffle down up the stairs <laughs> like exactly and I remember like saying to you literally I had a list of things like what do I do about this what do I do and you were like just get right. someone to carry you up <laughs> yeah yeah (laughs) amazing but no I remember it so clearly I remember meeting in the pub and the thing for me is I had a very similar similar experience but at the time backup didn't have the mentoring system that we they now do through which we met but what I had was I was in hospital one day cover in recovery and one day my dad and my brother who'd been coming up to visit obviously as regularly as they could they came running into the into the ward and they were like you won't believe what we've just seen you won't believe it and I said what what have you seen there's a woman she's in a wheelchair just like you and guess what she's driving and I was like what (laughs) you're joking she's driving a car she's paralyzed she's driving a car now to anyone who's paralyzed they will just be like what on earth are you talking about you know full well that you can drive with hand controls but at the time as a newly injured person I'd never seen anything like that so I was like dad please find her can you ask all these questions and kindly this wonderful woman came in to join me and she'd been injured for years she was actually a police detective uh she was a para she was an amazing woman and she just taught me all these little tricks and it changed my life I'll remember it forever and I think that was what I really wanted to do with you but and the thing was is that I, I was that you were my first mentee and you were the only one because after that I got really busy and stopped so mm. Yeah, I've been. I've definitely been wanting to get you to mentor people. I know, since, oh but gosh. I'm like that. and you just want to because it's so powerful. Yeah. You know what, though, Soph, I do find that I, as much as I don't do it officially, I do it unofficially so often with through social media, people contacting and asking for advice or, you know, little things, and it's often the smallest, weirdest things that I get asked, like whether it be about wheelchairs or whether it be about, I mean, clothing or just the little things that we know. 
it's a really lovely thing to do, but also it's deeply personal. And I think to have that relationship with someone else, you know, you really got to trust them and know what you want and what they can offer. And I think that's that's really special. But it's a, such a valid relationship to have at the beginning of a journey that you don't know where you're going, you know. 100%. I mean, a lot of the people that I'm sort of working with in the mentoring team, they they all say a similar thing, really, is that friends, family, as much as they love you, as much as they want to help, if they haven't gone through this sort of thing, they just don't understand. And you don't want to spend your time unloading. In fact, I found it quite hard, and I still do find that balance of when I'm having a difficult time, do I tell them? Because obviously it really deeply upsets them, you know, because they love you. It's like your friends or any of your people that love you in your life when you're having a hard time. So having someone who cares about you and has your best, you know, interests, uh, but they don't, it's not going to upset them as much if you're upset. That's a really lovely relationship to have, kind of like a therapist, but a different type of relationship. And I think that having someone, a third party outside of your life who has been there, done that and totally gets it is really magic. But I, I've recently kind of gone on to do get mentors in different ways in my life, like through work or and it's more in a professional capacity. And that's been really transformative as well. So I think that the whole concept of it is something that people just don't seem to lean on. Maybe it's not as a British thing. I don't know. But it's such a valuable, valuable relationship. To yeah, form. absolutely. I think in a lot of different sort of contexts as well, whether it be business or, you know, all sorts of things like if you've got someone in your life who can almost sort of hold you accountable in a way who's not a member of your family who's not your partner or whatever absolutely and also so recently um a really amazing young woman called toby she reached out she's a wheelchair user herself she's uh, quite present on social media and she reached out and asked me for some guidance and stuff and i think i I, one of the things I, i think she just needed to hear and it's true and i say it now again she is amazing she's she's good enough she's doing well enough you know she just i think she just needed someone to tell her that and and i think that can be in itself is enough is like you're doing your best and you just want someone to reaffirm that you're doing okay that can be enough isn't it it's not like because there's so much i think there's so much insecurity and paranoia and social media breeds a little bit of competition in everyone and makes you think i'm not doing enough i'm not doing enough i should be doing more and um and actually that someone having having someone there to just say right i'm going to just make sure that you know you're doing okay and this is where you could spend your time and it can be just very intimidating when you're ambitious or when you're trying to build a life you don't know where you where to put that energy so i think yeah yeah definitely it's a helpful thing definitely. to do definitely would you kind of take me back a bit um, to when you were, were younger and the sort of person you were back then and, and yeah, basically introduce yourself for us? Absolutely. So, so I grew up in South of England and I was quite a naughty, rebellious, wild girl. I was quite difficult, full of character, always in trouble, always getting into, tr- into trouble all the time. So when I was 18, I had a car crash just after I picked up my A-level results. In fact, on the same day as I picked up my A-level results. And um, I, in the car crash, I broke my back. So I've been a paraplegic for the last 18 years now, 17 years, 18 years. So I as a character, it wasn't that uh, strange. In fact, many people, when I had my crash, were like, oh, God, there we go. You know, I was kind of just always getting in trouble. And that was the kind of person I was. So um, I had my injury and then I went to rehabilitation and obviously did all of the, the spinal re- re- you know, rehab that you have to go through after you've had an injury and then re-emerged into life as a wheelchair user. And then kind of things very much shifted. So I, before my injury I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I had a plan as such that I guess my school or my parents or someone had decided for me which was I was going to go and study law 
I was going to law school. It was all very kind of mapped out. Uh, and it really wasn't for me. And then after my injury, I just went, no, you know, life's so short and you don't know what's going to happen. And I, having just nearly died and all that cliche stuff I thought right now perspective shift what do I love I'm going to do what I love so I ended up enrolling in art school and spent the next few years doing a degree in art and then weirdly my life kind of took a turn another one but this time for the better where I ended up started doing some tv work I was involved in a couple of tv shows as a contributor and in that I got a taste for what it's like to work in tv and to not only be on the TV and have an amazing experience because it opens a lot of doors to travel and meeting interesting people and amazing things at the perks of the job, but also how transformative that job can be when it comes to redefining disability. And as I was grappling with my own issues around disability and what internalized kind of ableism I had about what I could and couldn't do, I thought, right, this is a really powerful way of changing other people's perspectives on on people like me. So it was a very kind of selfishly driven, like, you know, my agenda became very I want to change the way disabled people are represented because I was sick of being suddenly going from one type of girl and then suddenly all that had changed is I couldn't use my legs but now suddenly I'm a completely different girl in everybody else's eyes. So I that took a while to adjust to and then using TV became a kind of catharsis and I carried on doing both art and TV and then jobs just evolved and my life since then has been absolutely mad extraordinary weird in both good and bad ways doors have opened to some of the most extraordinary opportunities and also I've you know still been managing the spinal injury the whole time so there's been a lot of challenges but it's been absolutely nuts and I think you know I always look back on it and kind of say right who knows what why the accident happened but can't help but think that there was a purpose to it it's quite fatalistic of me but I do feel that that moment opened my life into a different different direction so it's been absolutely amazing and now here we are again at another crossroads I don't know what's going to go next what's going to happen next but I got quite far over the last 18 years in the direction I really wanted to go and so it's been yeah Yeah, it's been a wild ride And, and I've loved watching it particularly over social media and stuff just yeah so so cool um, so you were talking kind of about, you know, recovering from spinal cord injury, as it were, or, you know, rehab and, you know, that journey of coming to terms with it, but doing it basically in the public eye. I I know yeah. for myself, you know, like I said before, you know, it was a real challenge in the beginning. I can't imagine doing that kind of on camera some of the time. What? No. Yeah. I mean, what would you Oof. say were the biggest challenges initially, particularly in relation to your disability? I think the problem was, so I actually, it's funny you say that because I was thinking only recently how I'm very grateful that I didn't have social media as much then because the way people share their lives on social media now and, you know, anything goes and you just tell everybody everything. And I'm I'm really glad that I didn't have that because I feel those early days when you're sort of adapting to your disability, there's so much going on. And for me to even have that experience on television was traumatizing enough. So one of the things I really I came to terms with, unfortunately, actually on screen was I had come out of hospital and I was really thriving, like doing as best as I could. I got into art school. I was dealing with it. I was like going to uni. This was back in the day when they didn't even have like disabled toilets in most of the unis. And I had to fight for access. I mean, you know, all the same stuff that's going on now, but it was even worse. Uh, So like um, going into that and doing all that and trying to make friends again when suddenly everyone's looking at you like you're the disabled person. And it was very, very weird in lots of ways, as you will well know. So um, so I went into life kind of but I was proud of myself. I was doing all right. I made friends and I was 
think I'd even got a boyfriend. I was really like, right, I'm getting there, getting back to life, getting back to myself. And then I went to the jungle to do this extraordinary trip with the BBC where we were trekking across Nicaragua. And um, <laughs> I mean, we talk now very articulately and accurately about the fact that the environment that you're in is the thing that disables you. And I hadn't really come to terms with that. I hadn't really understood that, that even though I was strong and mentally coping and really quite resilient at the time and was doing okay, I got put in the jungle. And obviously I'm a paraplegic in a wheelchair with not very much upper body strength and two thirds of my body don't work. I'm trying to drag myself through this jungle on this massive wheelchair. And it was like a wake up call, like a slap in the face of like, you are disabled. And I, I hadn't really come to terms with asking people to help me as well at the time and the, the nature of the expedition was we were working together in a team and we had to lean on each other for different things so there was people with visual impairment and hearing impairment all sorts of different impairments and so we'd have to help each other and of course at times when I could see I was at more of an advantage to somebody who couldn't when obviously I couldn't walk the person who can walk but can't see can help me so there was this wonderful game that was being played where we could help each other you know with our different abilities but at the time I really struggled with asking people to help me push me around and all that kind of stuff so I um I was sitting in the jungle you know unable to move an inch and just literally kind of uh, in that moment just go oh my gosh this is what I've lost this is what I've lost I can't walk I can't walk and so you know dealing with those new re revelations such personal and deep insight on tv yeah, yeah. was just mad absolutely mad and I looking back I can't believe I did it but then at the same time I don't like to look back and think, why did I do that? I don't regret it. It's just, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody and I wouldn't do it again. But it was, yeah, quite extraordinary. But the, there's the benefit of that was I was sitting in the jungle in Nicaragua, not only six months after my injury. And that stuff changes your perspective on life as well. So I don't know, there's goods and bads, but there's some things I think with, with disability that people really want to watch. And the crew, that's why they were there. They wanted to see that raw side as well as juxtapose that with us being amazing disabled people that can go through the jungle and we are we can do both that's the wonderful thing about people with disabilities that I love to get to know when I first had my injury it was like people think you can't do stuff and you can't but then you can do this stuff and without wanting to be the old inspiration cliche it is amazing to watch for me as an 18 year old girl never met a disabled person in my life I'm sitting in the jungle with a bunch of people there was one girl there who had double amputee above the knee and she's walking through the jungle with her sticks I'd never seen anything like that and now to me I'm like yeah whatever but then I was like oh my word this is cool right we're, we're cool this is all going to be okay but you know it's, it's it was a learning curve a steep one yeah yeah I bet I can't even imagine <laughs> it's um it's an interesting juxtaposition and one that we've spoken about a lot before is that the idea of people with disabilities being vulnerable or being needy and, you know, needing help. And, you know, when people in the street will ask you if you want help or whatever, and then at the same time being total inspirations and being incredible people who are doing all sorts of things, often in sport, which is something that we can talk about. But that's something for me, I've really struggled with. You know, I'm very stubborn. And, you know, I think like you in a lot of ways in that, you know, I really don't want people to think that I can't do things you know I think maybe that comes from a place you know from being able-bodied then being in a wheelchair you don't want to yeah I think you're right there I it's a really difficult point to articulate to people I think without sounding uh, at worst bitter even insecure or you know there's a there's a real complication in trying to articulate how this is and because 
we yes we can't do things okay and that's okay to admit and there's a real strength in admitting that vulnerability and being that vulnerable and there is something really brave about asking for help I think that's a really strong thing and I I wouldn't take that away I love that learning that we've had but I don't know and it varies doesn't it sometimes I don't mind if someone can be a little bit ignorant or patronizing other times it just I just want to fight back don't you dare think that of me you know just it's this constant stereotype and there's this massive polarity between the the superhuman who can do anything disabled person who overcomes their disability and then the benefits grounder on the other side who doesn't do anything and is a drain on society and is not no help and then there's people like us in the middle we're neither we haven't overcome anything it's still there we live with it every day we just manage it and deal with life and I don't know I, I've what it's been 18 years and I still struggle to, to explain to people that it's hard to be seen as someone that can't do things I've got a chip on my shoulder about it so much that I'm constantly trying to prove people wrong you know and at times that's a bit unhealthy but you just I think until you live with it I say to my friends, I'm like, if you didn't, as who aren't in wheelchairs, that is, I say, I know I might seem chippy, but imagine what that's like for someone to to say these things to you. Imagine what it's like. Like, I, I'll give you an example. I was in a bar. I don't know if I told you this. I must have at some point, but I, I've had a million of these stories over the years, like you will have. But I this one really stuck with me because it's quite early on. I was in a bar. And I was sitting by the bar and the bar's obviously higher than, you know, than we can see being sat down. So I'm sitting there patiently by myself, looking over the bar, just waiting to get someone's attention. And this couple was standing next to me and the girl looked round and she looked back at her boyfriend and then she looked back at me and she said, wow, you're really pretty. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, OK, thank, thanks. That's really nice. And then she turned to her boyfriend and she said, look, babe, look, look, isn't she pretty? And the boyfriend turned around and went, oh, you're really pretty. <laughs> and I, honestly, so I literally, I, you know what I mean? I'm like, right, what do I say now? Okay, so you're trying to be nice. I know you're trying to be nice. And that's really kind of you. And thank you for observing that. But do you realise, like, how unbelievably patronising? You don't think I'm a threat, eh? You're let, like this, I don't know. Yeah. You, know you know all the, you know what I mean. And that's those kind of things when they happen you're like I've got to find a way to make people understand this and that's what I talk about all this problem of trying to articulate this experience is very hard and so the whole patronizing and the whole kind of being inspirational all those things it's a very mm, you're hard absolutely thing right I know what you mean and I, I, I talk about it with people sometimes because I'd say for me you know that was probably the hardest thing and continues to be I think I'm definitely better at managing it and I always remember admiring how you managed it you know when when people would stare things like that I remember saying to you does it not bother you people staring all the time you know especially you know if we're together or whatever like you know time. it's just like yeah. that and, and it just yeah. got to me for so long and you had such a good attitude about it you know you kind of like shrugged it off a lot more than I did but I think it's really you know I've spoken to friends about it before and people generally and you know people often who are able-bodied will say you know really they are just trying to help yeah and I know that full well and therein is the problem because yeah. you know I absolutely know that and I'm, I'm grateful for them for looking out like that because there are many people myself included that have needed help from a member of the public in the past I try if any you know yeah. go out of my way to not be in that position but people who have additional needs or disabilities or whatever you know they, they mm. do need help sometimes and thank goodness for those people but yeah to, to manage that situation and to 
to thank them and be, you know, graceful about it. It can be hard if you're having a bad day and someone offers to give you a push. I know. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I even have it, not even just with members of the public. I have it with like, I'm single now, but with boyfriends in the past, I've had it where we've had a row about something. Totally normal, totally like no big deal. But then I've got to say something like, can you get me this? (laughs) And I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. And so you're kind of constantly in this like, state of like I'm an independent person to the core like just like you Soph I am independent (laughs) and now I'm even more independent because you're but you are dependent at times and so how do you strike that balance where you can be that independent woman and yet be like can you carry this and it's, it's something that I think all women probably really understand I think is that as a woman if you want to be independent and be strong and do all those things there's that line of where you you don't want to feel like you can't manage by yourself or something or people think that you can't manage these things and it's just like I mean it's a massive thing I think but we've got the female thing and the disability thing linked in so there's a bit of an intersectionality of the, the discriminations there that we have to manage but like at the same time I think anyone who has a disability they can all get that feeling of like, I don't know, you don't want to be seen as chippy and pissed off when people help you, but you also don't want to constantly be grateful. I mean, I'll, I I know this sort of happened to you. I'll be sitting on the side of the street, minding my own business, often looking for directions on my phone or texting somebody, just sit, literally just sitting still. People just come up and say, do you need help? And are you okay? You know, and you're like, okay, right now just yes, of course I'm fine. Do I look like I'm in distress? Do I look like I need any help? And also, do I look like I wouldn't ask for help if I needed it. And so, but then people will counteract me and say, stop being so ungrateful, they're being helpful. But it's an unimplied subconscious pitying of of me that they're seeing that they see me and think I need help. And that's, you know, that's what you know is going on in their mind is that they see you and they think that you need them. And you're like, oh dear, just got to get rid of that stuff. I mean, the concept of the word ableism, so if I'd never heard this until and maybe I don't know when it started to become more prevalent maybe in the last two years I, it started to become on my radar ableism and I'd never I know it I know what it is but I'd never had a word for it and so that that term and what all that means I, when I uh, read disability activists who use this word and and dissect this word it's fascinating to me what it actually all is and how that there is a sort of scale of what is good and what is not good and just how disability kind of brings out these internalized concepts of for example if you go to somebody's house and they've got a toilet that's accessible you know you're so grateful or if you go to a pub and they've got access you're so grateful and that's like these are fundamentals that you should just be very you shouldn't be grateful for this is just but you are because you're just constantly thinking that you aren't the same as everybody else you I don't know it's so subtle and complicated I still don't that's that's the thing isn't it you know a lot of these issues that we face are incredibly complex and um, you know if there was an answer to them then you know you know it would be so much easier what what would you say is kind of you're an activist and a campaigner and you're doing amazing things to try and change the face of disability but also change the experiences of people you know in terms of access you know in terms of sort of representation with your manacle all sorts of things you know you're doing to try and really change the world you know for for disabled people really what what would you say are kind of the big issues that you would like to try and tackle good question you put me on the spot so <laughs> I honestly it changes like the wind sometimes I think 
because actually when you end up in the situation that we have you start to see that there's problems everywhere and you could literally pick one just pick any and that could be your drive because we face so many different types of barriers all over the place so where do you go but I think because of the life that I've experienced and the life that I love so the areas where I really try and make changes is in travel and and retail and the reason I want to try and do this is I want people to see disabled people as valuable and of value and to see them and to not to make goods and services accessible to people, not just because they feel that it's a guilt trip because, oh, they're poor disabled people, but because we are of value, we have a value. And I think that once we start shifting into seeing people with disabilities as a valuable member of society, as opposed to just a drain and a resource that we have to look after and they can't look after themselves, you know, that's when the shift will happen. That's when people will start to kind of make their shops accessible just because they know that we'll bring money in. But, you know, it's this constant sort of chicken and egg cycle. There's a real problem with people thinking that disabled people don't bring in money, but they don't make their goods and services accessible. I don't just mean physically, but in any capacity. And often, therefore, disabled people do, cannot bring their, their value, cannot bring their spending power and cannot bring themselves. So in travel, for example, going into hotels that aren't accessible or flights that are really unaccommodating for people with disabilities or just general attitudes around that kind of not letting us get out the house is such a frustration. And as we all now go in retreat into our homes, I think we can all appreciate just how valuable it is to go outside and how much we need that freedom of choice. And for us to have that removed as disabled people drives me up the wall. And I think that and then in retail where we talk about just the experience and being able to buy and being able to not have to spend thousands of pounds on the basic things for ourselves. And that kind of stuff just, I think, needs to change. But, you know, so if we could start anywhere, couldn't we? It could, we could tackle issues around education, access to healthcare, women's rights around disability. I mean, there's so many problems that need help. Yeah. You just got to pick a couple and focus on them and try, I think. It's like the expression, choose your battles that, you know, I learned that a few years ago. And it's just, yeah. it's a really powerful thing. I think, you know, you can't change everything, you know, as much as you like to, if you can you know, do one thing to change the experience of people and that is what you are doing. Yeah. I think that's what, that's what I'm going to try, try and do. I mean, I started off quite campaignerish, quite fighting, quite activist and you've got to listen to us and we've got a voice but I learned quite quickly that really doesn't work and I had to calm down slow down and get in in a different way in a kind of let's hold hands and help each other as opposed to let me push you through this door um, I need to just take you through and show you why it's important and that's been a shift in my thinking over the last few years because I started consulting in different forms with different companies and in different areas as in different industries and I learned very quickly that if I wasn't there to break down the fears around disability as much as anything I wasn't gonna get anywhere people needed to be able to ask awkward questions around disability or get it wrong without fear of, of the consequences and that's one of the problems is that it goes back to what we we're talking about earlier when someone asks if you want help and you snap at them people don't want to upset disabled people they don't want it to come back and be a backlash and be seen to be a bad person so businesses have the same fears and if they think that you know they're going to go and try and do something and it goes wrong and then there's a you know media frenzy about the fact that they've somehow done something wrong for disabled people it's their biggest fear almost and it's like it stops progress so so much progress is halted by a fear of getting it wrong so that's kind of where we have to help I think is just to show we can be forgiving and actually help together. I don't think that's the way the way to do it. It's so interesting, sort of 
being on side with people, you know, that's that's a way to demonstrate so many things about life with disability. Yeah. yeah. And I do see a lot of us to say people kind of fighting out there. They're angry, rightly so, really rightly so. It is frustrating and we, we do need people to fight, but I don't think it's always gets the results in the end because actually a lot of the time that fight is just is not people have got so many issues you know disability is just another one and a long list of other 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 problems that people have to deal with yeah I agree with you sometimes people with disabilities you know often the things that they're struggling with are you know life things the things that any other 31 year old girl would struggle with disabilities are sort of side note and in the situation it doesn't define us certainly I know that an area that I know you know we're both big big fans of is is travel and you of course have presented a number of Paralympic Games I believe London Rio and you were due to go to Tokyo which unfortunately has been postponed for a year but the plan was for you to do an incredible trip and TV series uh, leading up to that tell me about that Oh, it's just so painful, so frustrating. I was literally about to be, so I got myself an adapted trike and it's a, it's a motor, a motorbike, I call it a motorbike. And I was going to be traveling on my motorbike from where I was just before I had my injury, which was in India. So I had my injury in, in the UK, but I, just before I was in India traveling with friends and I come back to get the results. And so I was going to go back to where I was and sort of start again and have this really amazing trip of a lifetime and travel from India all the way through into Bhutan and Thailand and Cambodia, all road tripping on my motorbike all the way through and then leave my bike in Cambodia, no, Vietnam, we were going to leave it, ship that over to Tokyo. And then I was going to join the bike in Tokyo and then present the games. So it was going to be a series and it was just the dream job of oh I just can't even describe it. It was still like I've been working on getting this opportunity off the ground for for as long as I could remember, really, to be a disabled woman on a motorbike traveling around is like the stuff of dreams for so many reasons, personally, but just also in terms of shifting perspectives on what, you know, women like us can do and stuff. I was just like, I had such high ambitions for this show, but unfortunately it got cancelled and I literally was about to be leaving just as the lockdown happened. So, and I don't know if it's going to happen again because of obviously the world has changed so much, but yeah, it was going to be amazing. And the bike is the just the coolest piece of kit ever and it's sitting outside my house just like Ooh. it looks incredible so like I'm beyond oh, jealous it. of it like so cool how is it it's amazing I mean I, I spent a lot of time researching to try and find a motorbike so originally I wanted to get a motorbike and put a sidecar on it because just to explain obviously I don't have the balance neither of us do as paraplegics quite high level without the core stability it's really hard to ride a motorbike because you obviously and also you can't well, it's almost impossible to ride a motorbike and you can't stop because you can't put your foot down to balance the bike so you need that balance so the sidecar is the perfect solution but I don't have my bike license so I couldn't they wouldn't let me do my test in a bike and sidecar and so I couldn't do my test so there's this grey loophole I was going round and round in circles and then someone drew my attention to this trike and it is just mad it's made by the company who make um sea-doos and ski-doos so it's very um it looks very like one of them and it's called a Riker and it is just the coolest coolest thing ever it's, it's an off-roading vehicle it's for the road but it's called the rally edition and it's just how fast um, does it go it's so fast and so much fun oh god well I've got I mean it can go like, so fast like, it's like, like normal motorbikes I, I mean it's amazing yeah wow oh yeah and the rest it's yeah oh it's gosh. so fast and it's so much fun but I 
yeah so I had I'd been training on the bike and I've been going out getting practice on it making sure I was really confident on it competent on it and I've been getting myself really well and you know doing all the good stuff like just being you know healthy and well and getting trained up and making sure I was really at my peak and then yeah this just stopped so I was like no but I have to say I think as soon as this is all lifted I am going to try and go back out and not go around India but just go around the UK and do a little road trip here and just go and see what it's like because it's a very safe and free way to travel because you're on a bike with a helmet on so you are kind of socially distancing just uh, in by oh, default mate. so yeah yeah so we'll see we'll see That's oh so I'll cool. take you for a ride and I, I also think, going back to your question before about what's the end goal, for me, the end goal with chat with travel is to show other people with disabilities just how much they can do. Because I remember very clearly at the beginning stages of my journey in, as a wheelchair user, just thinking so much was cut off from me. And I wasn't like just this goes back to the very original point that we made about the importance of seeing role models and seeing what people can do. And I hadn't seen people traveling. I didn't know about getting on an airplane. I didn't know how to do all those things. And I think that there's a lot of fear around stepping outside the front door. And, and it, it and rightly so. There's stigmas to deal with. There's access to deal with. You know, there's so many issues. And so I think my end goal is just to a show what can so show through work or show through just my own kind of personal adventures what can be done and what you can do but also to test myself and to see how far can I go because it you just don't know I mean I don't I couldn't find a single biker who has a disability who'd biked around India for example I was trying to find someone to give me advice on how am I going to manage and what's the roads like and will my back get bad and you know all the bouncing around I was trying to no one had done it so I was like right well that in itself is a reason to go and do it so I can find out you know (laughs) that's that's the beauty I think you know about about having a disability is that there's a lot of stuff that's never been done whether it's traveling or you know feet or whatever and and I love that you did that for me so I hadn't done any research into skiing and stuff and you'd done it so I knew that I I could ask you right where did you go what did you do who did you see and you were like right this is where you need to go this is what you need to do I was like great okay cool you know and that's the, again the joy of having like the network like we do and having friends that we friendships that we've made is that we are there's enough of us out there now doing these things that you can lean on people to get advice you know if I want to go water skiing I know who to talk to if you want to go traveling on a motorbike you know and that sort of mad stuff where you until you see other people doing it you just and that's the importance of representation is that we have and that's the joy of social media is that we can shift people's thinking on what you can and can't do and that and then we have to we have to keep doing that and and again taking it outside of sport because all people see disabled people doing is sport and and as much as we love watching the Paralympics and all that kind of stuff and it's brilliant we do more than sport it's travel is different and that's what you know you know this full well and I think that needs to be part of the um people's perspective is that that's what disabled people can very easily yeah, do yeah, absolutely and should do totally with you okay so kind of to round things off you know with this podcast I'm I'm interviewing people who have faced major challenges in their lives of all sorts and obviously you having a spinal cord injury breaking your back at the age of 18 is absolutely massive and from then you've obviously you know I, I needn't say it you've gone on to do just some incredible things um, and continue to do so so something I'm asking everyone is if you were to give a piece of advice for anyone who's kind of undergoing some sort of challenge whether it's you know having a traumatic injury like yours or going through something that's really difficult because obviously you know with a spinal cord injury it's not just becoming paralyzed and that's it there are so many other things that you've Mm. had to contend with can you think of of what you would say to someone who's going through a difficult time 
I think actually it's very simple. Go straight back to the very reason why we know each other. I think the best thing you can do is reach out to someone else who's in your situation. Now, I caveat that with I know that everyone's situation is different and it is all relative. But I think if you're going through something really challenging, find someone else who's either been there or doing it too. And it's such a lifeline. I think it's a really powerful way of seeing what your horizons are and seeing, you know, and and helping each other to just really shift your own perspectives. And I mean, I think also, I know that you are the same, Sophie. So you didn't need much of my help. What you needed was practical tips and insights because you were mentally so strong already. And I was struck by how together you were so quickly and you were just on it. And so I'd say there's two things going on. One is, I think, to anyone going through a tough time, it will end and it will make you stronger and believe in that and I, I think look look into yourself for that but also then look to others for the things that you can't get and that's where that's can feel, feel scary but I think that's one of the most powerful things you can do um so yeah it's kind of two bits of advice but Absolutely. I think they go hand I hand. really couldn't agree with you more if I was asked the same question I'd probably the say say you know more or less the same sort of mm. thing I think there's real power in that definitely uh, amazing amazing what a start. Thank you so Amazing, much, Sophie, for doing this. Absolutely wicked to chat to you. No, thank you. I think it's brilliant. And I love chatting to you and keep it up. And I think this is going to be, I don't know, it's one of those things where to, to kind of explore, like, Thanks. I love the title, <laughs> by the way. Great title. I think, yeah, just pushing out those stories is just the best thing ever. So, keep, oh, yeah, thank thanks, you for having me. One more thing. If people want to find out more about you, where should they head to? So I have a website, sophiemorgan.com. And I also have Instagram. I'm, I'm mostly on. I don't use Twitter all that much, which is Soph, Soph L. Morg, the letter L, Soph L. Morg on Instagram. Check out this girl's Instagram account. It's it's super cool. And um, she's really, you know, especially in this time when a lot of people are kind of in their bubble, not really getting out there and putting their the things out in the world so it's absolutely smashing it so it's um always nice to see you thanks thanks for listening today if you like what you heard please be sure to share it with anyone you think would like it and rate review and subscribe because this helps it get in front of more people who might enjoy and even benefit from it. Hopefully see you next time for another guest whose life is definitely less ordinary.